welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, April 4th, 2021. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Encore Magazine, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Okay, you know, Michael, we were just talking about this. Hello, Michael. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so with us, we have a very special guest joining us. Marsha Milgram Dodge is with us. Marsha is a director, choreographer, playwright, and teacher. She received Tony Award and Drama Desk nominations for her 2009 revival of Ragtime. She appears on Disney Plus Encore in a number of episodes. We'll talk about that. Her national tours include the Theater Works USA Curious George and Seussical the Musical and Broadway Asia's Cookin' and Phoenix Entertainment's Ragtime. So, Marsha, thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, we're so uh, happy to have you here with us. And I wanted to talk about uh, your origins in theater and where you grew up and how you ended up getting into theater. Great. Um, well, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and in a chorus line, you know, the character of Mike, I can do that. Mm -hmm. That's me. So my <laughs> mother took uh, my sister to dance lessons and I came home and performed the combination. And so she went, Oh, I think I have the wrong kid in class. So I started dance gymnastics, tap and jazz and all that stuff when I was about three or four years old. And I actually studied at the Julie Adler school of the dance I love how that. Yeah, I love. I, I always love the article uh, in front of dance, right? Yeah, right. And um, some uh, alums from that studio include Janie Sell and Donna McKechnie. Hmm. So I was in a good place, and um, I was sort of the chunky girl and didn't really do the ballet, but I was really good at tap and jazz, and did recitals at the Masonic Temple in Detroit, Michigan, and you know, just loved dancing and watched uh, Shirley Temple movies on Saturday morning on the Bill Kennedy show for any Detroiters out there. <laughs> and um, when I got into University of Michigan, I enrolled in the dance department. And my father was like, no, 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 no. You're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something. Uh, like, no, 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 no. I'm going to, I'm going to dance. <laughs> I was like, going to figure it out. And um and I started choreographing everything in sight, anything I could do. And um, that's kind of how it happened. And I hooked up with Musket, which was the student-run organization that's still going strong, and um, met some of my favorite people who became what I affectionately referred to as my tribe. So we kind of all found theater together and did it together. And, and I ended up marrying my King Arthur in Camelot, which <laughs> is my husband, Tony Dodge. And... Um, we came to New York and, and then I read backstage and looked for TBD, choreographer TBD. <laughs> and so I would write for the theaters and say, I'm a choreographer. And uh, that's really how I landed a job at the um, arena stage in Washington. And I would say that that production 
of On the Town that I did down there in 1989 was really the launching pad for my regional career. Um, I remember it well. Um, wow. Yes, a yeah. uh, terrific, a terrific job, and um, <laughs> I still remember Zach Brown sets too. Which oh I my gosh, Zach <laughs> yeah. Brown sets yeah. and costumes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really, really wonderful. So, uh, so yeah, I have fond memories of that production, especially because um, I understand was in it uh, the song which didn't oh, yeah. make the album, and you know, I, I still remember how it moved the action forward, and I gasped because I said, "Wow, here's an early show with that moving the action forward." And people turned around to look to see who had gasped and wondered why I was gasping in the middle of the song. So, so I have very fond memories of that production. It was so wonderfully slick. I mean, uh, it, it just moved like lightning and, and that's what, you know, has to happen in, in a show. Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, well, here you are, you're growing up doing this, but I mean, is anybody saying, no, you can't be a director because you're a woman? You know, I, I kind of had blinders on and honestly, I, I, I would only get mad if I didn't get an opportunity to meet somebody to talk about doing a job as opposed to, you know, because directors and choreographers, you know, don't audition. We, we take meetings. And if you can't get the meeting, you're kind of screwed, right? You don't get the opportunity, but I never, I tried to stay away from that kind of, um, uh, worry that, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't getting it cause I was a chick or whatever, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. um, honestly it wasn't until I sat down with Peter Marks after ragtime opened in 2009. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he said, you were the first woman to be hired by the Kennedy center to direct a major musical. And I kind of looked at him and said, what are you, that's crazy. It's 2009. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, you are. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Okay, that goes on my fun facts. You know, that's like the first thing on my fun facts is that I sort of, you know, nudged at the glass ceiling a little bit, but I never really had that. I'm a chick, I'm going to make it, I'm going to fight. You know, I just had a fighting spirit if I, no matter what gender I was, you know what I mean? Sure. I, I, I didn't really think about that. You know, um, Marsha is being literal when she says fun facts, she does have a page. And what really stands out to me is these actors receive their equity cards and shows I directed or choreographed. And here's <laughs> Billy Crudup. Is mm-hmm. Billy Porter? Yeah. I mean, really? So obviously you have an eye for budding talent. Well, I have an eye for really good talent is what I think. And, and good people. I would, I would say my, my, anyone who's worked with me would say that we put, I put together families and I would say that's the thing that is, is powerful and intoxicating about the theater when you gather a group, you know, a group of people from a small musical, like closer than ever to a huge musical, like on the town. And these people are still friends and getting together over the years and, and having little reunions. I mean, I still uh, stay in touch with all the folks I did off key with at the George street playhouse years ago, people like Mona Allen and Christopher Sieber and Linnell Stevens and Paul Bonato. I mean, they become, once I work with somebody and I love them, they become in, you know, part of my unofficial MMD rep company. You know what I mean? I want to go back and, and, and hire them all, all over again. Well, um, even Billy, I ran into not too long ago and it was very warm and 
and you know he remembered me you know he doesn't need to that was a long time ago well it's interesting that you used the word tribe a few minutes ago and here you are saying family as well and i do see that you've done hair which of course uh is famous Uh for having a tribe and essentially a family as well so uh was hair early in your career Hair was kind of, uh, no, not, you know, I have a long, I did a, I had a long relationship with Bay Street Theater. Uh-huh. It started in like 99, mm-hmm. 1990, the 90s are so long ago. I can't even say. Aren't they? It's hard to believe, but they are. Yeah. <laughs> so like 99 to 2008, I was at Bay Street every other summer or something mm-hmm. like that. And Sybil Christopher and Emma ah. Walton were my champs there. Uh-huh. And they, they called me and said, would you do hair? Mm-hmm. And it was like, great. And I got all these old scripts from the public theater and sure. I did a whole bunch of triage on it to try to sort of give it a kind of a framing device. And I used a lot. I had started teaching recently at Cap 21 NYU. Mm-hmm. So I grabbed a lot of the students that I knew from there and put them in. And that's when I met Max von Essen and Alan H. Green, uh-huh. who have become pals. And I uh, haven't worked with as often as I would like to, but I always um, do at the chance I get. And And that was a really special experience doing that show for that community because I think there were a lot of old burgers in that audience, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and the, the, when Jeannie started to sing uh, air, the whole audience started singing and it's ah. so intimate there, you know, it's ah. only 200 seats. And, and I, I did the be in all in the aisles and everywhere. And the band was, uh, I can't remember where, you know, who was my music director? I'm ready. Linda Twine. Mm. Oh, really? Mm. Yes. <laughs> I was like, Linda, you want to go do Hair in the Hamptons? And she's like, yes. Hair in the Hamptons. That's Hair a documentary. That's a documentary yeah. I'd like to see. You know, yeah. ironic, ironically enough, um, uh, James Rado, who wrote Hair, uh, lost his hair at a very early age. And um, I have to say that before he wrote Hair, I saw him play George in She Loves Me. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> yeah, that's something. You know um, what? He, he came. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, he's yeah. very good about that. He really is. You know, yeah. I want to ask about off key. And um, oh, sure. I, I imagine a lot of people who uh, are listening don't know what off key was. And I'm sorry that they don't, because I yeah. started at the George Street Playhouse and I thought it was terrific. It was a musical by Richard Adler and Bill C. Davis, both of whom are no longer with us. And I thought it was terrific. And I will say that I only spoke to Richard Adler about it. I never met Bill C. Davis and I would have loved to have heard his side of the story but i do know that um there was conflict between them and if you care to address this fine if you don't i understand entirely but um i've often wondered why it didn't go further you know um richard was and bill had a long history through richard's son yeah christopher christopher Mm -hmm. and there was um some i think I think on Bill's side, there was a bit of resentment that, that, that Richard didn't really know his son or something. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, I think I do. And I, and I was like the fifth director. Oh, <laughs> they kept trying. Wow. Yeah. It was very interesting because there were some significant directors before me that tried to 
uh, sort of pull them back together. And I don't know how I did it. I, I just shoot from the hip and I'm, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I basically sat down with them and said, we got to do this. Yeah. And you guys got to have to be nice to each other. So mm-hmm. <laughs> let's do this, you know? And so there was a little bit of mom maybe in there that they mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. responded to, but Richard, Richard's the one who started calling me MMD. So uh-huh. he would pick me up in his sports car and we would drive out to New Jersey because he lived on the east side mm-hmm. across from the museum of uh, mm-hmm. the Metropolitan Museum. And he would pick me up. And if it was a nice day, we put the top down and the two of us would drive out to um, Jersey together and then he would bring me home. So it was kind of this cool, you know, I was like, this is pinch me. You know, I, had, yeah. I have a few pinch me moments in my mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bill was, tri- you know, Bill was quiet and brainy and um you know really smart and hard but hard to budge so Uh, it was interesting and richard you know richard was very complimentary i mean i think he's he like he gave me a fossey compliment one day and i burst into tears he said uh, fossey would have staged it just like that or something uh, like it was like oh my god (laughs) you know pinch me so um so it was, you know, but it was very loving. I mean, the, the the story was Bill's story. I mean, he worked in a group home. He met um, these amazing people. We did a field trip one day and met some um, developmentally disabled adults. Um, and we really worked our butts off on trying to be truthful and respectful to the, you know, authenticity of these characters and, I thought it was very profound, the whole journey. And my sister, Marianne, my my younger sister, came and had seen Les Mis and, and Off Key in one weekend. And my biggest compliment was, I liked it better than Les Mis. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it was a really, it was a story about acceptance. And really, I think Bill's underlying theme was about gay marriage. In, uh-huh. in using the story of these developmentally disabled adults who wanted to get married and were, you know, basically told not to. And then in the second act, there's a there's a wedding ceremony that they do on their own. And it's, you know, it's giving me goosebumps thinking about it because it was my first time working with Narelle Sissons, who did the sets. And she is one of the most beautiful, non-literal designers that I work with a lot and um, opened my eyes to storytelling in new ways. And the cast was, was fantastic and had senior members as well as adults and younger adults. And it was just a really exciting experience. And I think Bill and Richard just never resolved. And I don't think it could go forward because, you know, it was a temporary get, getting together to do the show at George street, but I don't think that their relationship was built on terra firma. As well, was. as Charles Nelson Riley once said to me, it's a miracle that anything ever gets on. And That's you know, true. this is, this is a factor in why things uh, don't happen. You know, that yeah. something like that can really derail a project that really was so worthy and so moving. And I still have a vivid memory of uh, a young woman coming on wearing glasses and very red tights. And do you remember this character? And well, Amanda Naughton (laughs) played the girl that wore glasses, and Tony and I sing that song all the time. Do you wear glasses? You know, it was like so cute. (laughs) And Michael Greenwood played the guy that was always giving weather reports. 
Well, the thing was, she came on and you really accepted her as a person who had no problems in the world because she seemed very happy and self-actualized and all that. And then suddenly you realized that she was one of these people in this home. And it's really something how your first impression of her, and this is very skillful on your part, the first impression of her was the fact that she was a normal, everyday person. And it made you say, wait a minute, you know, why is it that I think that this person is a normal, everyday person? And then later I found out she's not, but maybe she's better than I think she, that they yeah. think she is. And that was so significant about the show. And I'm sorry to spend so much time on a show that so many of our listeners have no idea what we're talking <laughs> about, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. um, it, it is one of those that fell through the cracks and I'm sorry that it did. Yeah. Thank you. Thank this um, talent that you have of creating, helping to create a family atmosphere. Uh, I, I'm sure that really helped with Susical. Uh, oh, which I loved when I saw it at, at the Lucille Lortel. I, you know, I imagine it, I, I imagine it, it, you know, it would be difficult to create um, the, the right tone and, and right feeling for a show like that in a multi-million dollar Broadway production yeah. that, you know, is, is geared to obviously to be very, very commercial. Uh, so that, that probably was all working against them to some degree, but you did such a beautiful job. Thank you. With it. Yeah. That was inspired by my daughter's um, elementary school. I sat in the schoolyard one day, Hmm. uh, PS 87 on the Upper West Side, and I saw all the characters in Susical. I saw (laughs) Horton was, um, uh, I I I won't name names just in case, but I knew who (laughs) Horton was. He was the chubby little boy that nobody really played with. And the mean girls were uh, Maisie LaBird and her two little cohorts. And I remember she, the the real Maisie LaBird said to me one day, I can't believe you're wearing fake Uggs. I had gotten my <laughs> fake Uggs from Target. And she was Everyone's wearing, a critic. Course. Yeah. So I was like, ooh, that's Maisie LaBird. And then oh. there was another little girl that reminded me of Gertrude because she was sort of wearing glasses and sort of on her own and nobody was really playing with her either. So it was sort of like I saw this whole world emerge in a schoolyard and I said to Lynn and Steve, I know how to do this. Like, I know exactly how to tell this story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what happens when you're reading a script or, you know, listening to a score. You either sort of connect right away and and it's like, I got this. I know exactly how to do it. And I'm going to take this job because I know how to do it. Or you listen and read and go, I have no idea what to do. Oh, shit. And, uh, okay, I'm going to take it because I'm going to figure it out. You know, so those are kind of my two criteria. And that was basically Susical and Ragtime. <laughs> it was like, so Susical, I know exactly what to do. Ragtime, I was like, oh, shit, I just said yes. Now what do I do? Um, so, <laughs> you you uh, did very well. <laughs> uh, so thank, thankfully that worked out. But, you um, bet it did. Yeah, but Susical was dear to my heart. I mean, I put up all those companies, I think, until about, we did it first in 2006. And that's when Lynn and Steve came and said, oh my gosh, this is great. We should do this in New York. And Free Summers Theater came about and we were able to do it at the Lortel that summer. It was so thrilling. Um, And uh, uh, that cast that I put together for that first company with a few little tweaks for the Lortel are still, we just did a green, as soon as we got locked down last year in March, I, uh, Barbara called and said they were going to, Barbara Pasternak at mm-hmm. Theater Works said, we're going to do a 
uh, sort of pr- interview with Lynn and Steve and Kevin Chamberlain, and we'd love you there. And we're going to sort of talk about Lynn and Steve's evolution at TheaterWorks and you uh, ultimately with your production at the Lortel. And so we did this little interview and um, I got very inspired and I called Josh Walden, my longtime associate and Mr. Mayor in that production and said, we need to do Green Eggs and Ham tutorial because I did a whole choreographed finale with Green Eggs and Ham. And, <laughs> and so we gathered the entire company and Josh edited it and it's available. You can see it on YouTube and it's Green Eggs and Ham performed by the original cast of the Lortel production now in lockdown um, on Zoom version. But it's so great. And um, everybody said yes. You know, it was like one of those, will you, want, will you guys do this? Sure. Do you remember the choreography? No. So it was like, <laughs> so Josh did a whole, you know, reminder choreography for them. And then he, he, they all shot it and he edited it. <laughs> All right. Um, looking at these fun facts, I see that um, you have done musicals ranging as far back as 1931 of the I Sing mm-hmm. and all the way up to Cinderella. So uh, what have you missed that you say, I've got to do uh, one of these days? I mean, will somebody please want to do a production of blah, 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 so I can do it? You know, uh, I want to do new stuff. And I, I think that's my one uh caveat I guess is Mm -hmm. that I haven't had the opportunity to work on new material as much as I would like I have done some new shows you know off key obviously was was an original new musical um but uh there you know that's what I would like to do my husband Tony and I are actually writing something how nice yeah together so we're working on something that we hope will become a a family uh favorite so um, he's doing like he's, book and lyrics. We're writing the book together. Uh-huh. Yeah, we wrote a Sherlock Holmes play years yes, ago. Yes, West End and, Horror. Yep, the West End Horror, and then we just trans we 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 transformed it into a radio play, and it was uh-huh. actually done during um, October of last year uh-huh. uh, as a co pro with a theater company in Portland, Oregon, and the all classical station out there. So they broadcast it over two weekends and um, it was thrilling to hear it as a radio play because it had a kind of radio play style to it anyway. Very theatrical, sort of our 39 steps that predated 39 steps. Uh-huh. A <laughs> cast of eight playing 40 roles and um, in very, done in very theatrical style. So um, another premiere I did at, Bra- at Bay Street back uh-huh. in... 2002 is when mm-hmm. we did it there. And um, yeah, I'd like to work on some new stuff. And, um, you know, On the Town will remain my favorite musical for all of its audacity and sheer bravery of musical comedy numbers and dream ballets. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't get that kind of a yeah. scope mm-hmm. very often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been... Uh, lucky to get to go in and reimagine musicals that have, you know, classic bones that can kind of stand up to a contemporary lens being put on shows and seeing it with new eyes. And I always tell my, I'm teaching a lot now too. And I always tell my students, you have to read the script and listen to the original Broadway cast recording as if it's being, you know, presented to you now for the first time. You can't go back and 
look at everybody else's productions. You have to read it now. And so anything that, that has ever been written, I'm happy to tackle because I would read it as if it were handed to me today for the mm-hmm. first time. Mm-hmm. Marsha, one of our uh, listeners, Cheryl Hodges Selden, sent yeah. me uh, a playbill from the University of Michigan when you were just Marsha Milgram. Mm-hmm. And there was this guy, Anthony Dodge, and you two were <laughs> co-directing a production of The Music Man. So tell us, uh, Cheryl had mentioned uh, she's also from University of Michigan, yeah. uh, Hail to the Victors. And, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, she, she mentioned that there, there was, was there no musical program at the time? or No musical or- program. Which it is was, amazing because uh, the Michigan uh, Mafia is just is, is just dominating uh, Broadway these days. Yeah, and I'm not in it. <laughs> That's my one little. <laughs> I'm going to have a little complaint. Yeah, no, I didn't graduate from the University of Michigan musical theater program because it didn't exist. I combined mm. dance and theater, and they were in two separate schools. Dance was in the School of Education, and theater was in the Liberal Arts School, mm. LSNA. So. Um, my degree is in speech communications and theater with a minor in dance. And it, it, the musket saved my life because I just, I would choreograph whatever I could. So if I would, you know, if there was a dinner theater review going on at the, at the um, Ann Arbor Inn, I would choreograph it. I, I hooked up in my junior and senior year with a, a very formidable woman named Marty Metters and she did decided she was going to produce musicals and I got there. I like landed on, I, I, I was her choreographer. Um, and we did reviews at the Ann Arbor Inn and the Campus Inn. And, um, and she actually co-produced Camelot, which is where I met Tony. It was a co-pro with Musket and Marty. So we got to run it for two weekends, <laughs> which in college is like, woo. That's a, that's, a, that's a long run, you know? So uh, we met doing Camelot, and then um, I would choreograph uh, summer, summer theater, and I stayed in Ann Arbor all the time. Anything I could choreograph, I would choreograph. And I went to my teachers in the dance department and said, you have to give me credit because this is what I'm doing, and this is what I love to do. And Vera Embry was my, my teacher um, who I loved, and she said, sure, I'll give you credit. And um, Liz Bergman was, uh, had no idea what musical theater was. She was the modern dance guru at Michigan. And Madonna was in my class. Uh, wow. Madonna danced naked in my class in 76, 1976. She took her clothes off and ran around the barber gymnasium naked. There's the title of your memoir. There you go. <laughs> Madonna danced naked in my class. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so she was there she auditioned for my production of the music man and i didn't cast her i I really thought you were going to say she auditioned for hair no she would have been great in hair no she auditioned for the music man and and my music director told me he didn't think she could sing so i hope you're not listening madonna but uh yeah, we made a we made a few goofs back then. If I only knew now what I knew that what, if I knew then what I know now, I would have cast her. Everybody um, has to go through stages like that. I guess. So. Speaking of stages, uh, you've mentioned that Arena Stage was really a launching point for you in your career. It, since yeah. then, you have worked in 
at least 60 theaters in 28 states around the wow. nation. You are supporting <laughs> yeah. the regional wow. theater circuit uh, like like nobody else. Uh, one of the productions that you worked in was The King and I at the Jupiter Theater. Yeah, uh, Maltz Jupiter. Yeah. Maltz Jupiter. Oh. So talk about The King and I, and then Michael is going to tell us a little bit about The King and I itself. Okay. Um, well, that was in uh, 2014. Michelle Ragusa oh, played Anna, and yeah. I would it, she just was beautiful in that role. We had a fully uh, authentically Asian company. We reached out to the community. We got children and their mothers, and I put the mothers in the show as well. And um, uh, we had a an amazing company uh, led by Wayne Hu, who comes from the opera world. He was our king. And Christine Toy Johnson was um, Lady Tiang. David Shi was the Krala Om. And it was a gorgeous company. And, you know, always tackling shows that Jerry Robbins originally uh, created are challenging for a choreographer. And I read the licensing agreement back to back. And I said to Andrew, I'm going to do a new ballet. Um, and I did research into Thai shadow puppetry. Wow. And I brought on Eric Wright, Puppet Kitchen. And we did the ballet as a Thai shadow puppet show. And it was spectacular and unique and original. And the only people who saw it were those that saw it at the Maltz Jupiter Theater. And I was so thrilled to do it and work on it and create a new way of storytelling for that iconic ballet. Um, the whole show was then inspired by this kind of Thai shadow uh, environment. And Narelle Sissons did the set, Leon Webers did the costumes and Matthew Richards, who's a beautiful lighting designer, lit it. And um, it was really special. And I, every day coming out of rehearsal, I just sang Rodgers and Hammerstein's praises. I mean, it is a beautifully crafted show mm -hmm. and it's unbreakable. You know, I think it's um, deeply meaningful and funny and, you know, complicated and messy and all the good things that musicals do. So it was a privilege to work on it. And um, uh, we're really proud of our casting because we really did outreach to make sure that we were telling the story in a very authentic way. This week on Broadway is being sponsored by Audible. As you probably know, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, languages, business, motivation, and now podcasts. We have highlighted Audible's work a number of times on Broadway Radio, and as a listener to Broadway Radio, you know that Audible has been supporting the development of new works through their Audible Theater Initiative. So I think that the combination of Broadway Radio listeners and Audible Plus is a perfect match. With Audible Plus, you get full access to the Plus catalog, which is filled with thousands and thousands of select originals, audiobooks, and podcasts, including ad-free versions of popular shows, as well as exclusive series. Want to listen to Jake Gyllenhaal and Tom Sturridge in Seawall, A Life? Audible Plus. How about Certain Women of an Age? 
by Margaret Trudeau, Audible Plus, and The Half-Life of Marie Curie by Lauren Gunderson, narrated by Kate Mulgrew and Francesca Faradani, Audible Plus, and there's so much more. Audible Plus connects you to a ton of content that entertains, inspires, and informs. It's easy to find just the right listen, whether it's comedy, romance, suspense, true crime, science fiction, or fitness and wellness. You can even squeeze in a workout or guided meditation without having to go to the gym or a class. Visit audible.com slash Broadway Radio or text Broadway Radio, all one word, lowercase, to 500 500 to start your free 30-day trial. We'd like to thank Audible for sponsoring Broadway Radio. So, Michael, the King and I holds a special uh, place for us today, doesn't it? Yes, because we celebrated the 70th anniversary of it yeah. uh, just uh, just a few days ago on March 29th. Isn't that incredible? I've always, for what it's worth, people, you know, how people ask you, what's your favorite musical? Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, you know, but <laughs> I used to say I could only. Uh, I could narrow it down to two West side story and the King and I, mm. uh, and then I think I added Sweeney Todd later on, <laughs> but <laughs> the King and I is, as you said, it's just so it's a miracle. Um, yeah. The characters are so rich. Uh, the situations, the, of course, the music and the lyrics. Uh, it's one of those shows. I think that so brilliantly is able to seamlessly, um, incorporate very, very serious uh, moments with wonderful light humor and, and moments of joy, Uh, you know, Fiddler on the Roof also leaps to mind. Uh, It's, it's not easy to do that, but I I think the King and I does it so well. And, and one thing I'd like to ask Marsha about is um, occasionally, uh, believe it or not. uh, I mean, I, I completely agree with you that it's, that the show is immortal and, and, and always will be, but you still sometimes hear people say that they think um, that it's uh, racist or outmoded in the sense of, of, of uh, presenting this white British woman who comes in and, you know, to, uh, you know, to shake things up and, Mm -hmm. and basically change what's going on in the, in the country. But I, I think, I think it's a lot more complicated than that. I don't think that's what happens. I, I always love the fact that we see um, it's a, it's definitely a culture clash, but some of the things we, it, it, that are most interesting to me is just how different people in different cultures just see things differently. Uh, that moment um, in shall we dance mm-hmm. where uh um, you know, Anna starts to dance and then she stops and she says, well, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. In my country, a woman would never dance while a man is, is watching her. Right. And he says, and he says, but yet they would dance in the arms of a stranger. And she right. said, oh yes. You know, so that's just a, a cultural difference that I, I think um, the, the King and I is full of that. And then also uh, that, but the things where, where Anna, you know, I mean, does come in and, and hopefully, make a difference is uh i mean as it's portrayed in the show this is not really historically accurate uh of of the slavery yeah. thing i mean i think we can all agree exactly. 
I, I think exactly. I hope we can all agree that I hope slavery. Yeah, yeah, is <laughs> not a yeah. good idea. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I think the conversation now, uh, as as it should be, is that who's telling the stories? You know, I right? Mean, we have white uh, authors telling stories about cultures that they're not part of. That right. that's the conversation that that we need to reexamine. I don't think that the story. I mean, it's based in some fact. It's not a documentary and, you know, liberties are taken. But I think if it's done with care and with um, compassion, that the story is is sadly relevant and meaningful. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we, we still look at when I did Ragtime in 2009, you know, racism is bad, people would say. Yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, we still need to tell this story. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. like it's never going to go out of fashion, sadly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to say that, 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 that the musical theater is a place to get your, you know, social conscience and your religion. I mean, Manny Eisenberg is mm-hmm. the guy that said that to me and said, this, you know, I go to the theater for these things, for, you know, for the uh, lifting the human spirit for my social consciousness, for my politics, for my religion. And I think that we have to be mindful that going forward, we have to allow people of color to tell their stories and, and find our way through them. Just like Fiddler on the Roof is meaningful for anybody who's been part of a family. I mean, that Mm -hmm. is a universal, huge Mm -hmm. story and it was written by some Jewish guys. And mm-hmm. so it's okay for them to tell that story. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's what we have to, you know, be really careful about now. We actually so. absolutely definitely have to do that. And unfortunately that seems to be a, a, a slow process. Um, I think we all wish it could be a much quicker one. Sure, um, But I also it's... know how privileged I have been to have the opportunities to work on certain shows that now I should not work uh-huh. on. Uh-huh. So I am taking responsibility for that. I mean, I, I spent, I did 10 productions of Ain't Misbehaving mm-hmm. and I loved it and I worked my ass off on it and I researched and I tried to create culture that was meaningful and authentic, but I am not of that culture. And so I, I will not do it anymore. I, I, it's not mine to do. It's not my story to tell. And so I want people of color to tell that story of, of that music and that, that world. So I, I don't, I, I feel very lucky that I got to do it, mm-hmm. but I, um, I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I shouldn't. And so mm-hmm. I won't. I get you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so let me ask you uh, about changing topics right now. Yeah. Uh, this week we, and in fact, it was just yesterday we heard of the uh, passing of Arthur Coppett, and yeah. uh, and from a town known as Oyster Bay, Long Island, uh, you worked with uh, Arthur and High Society in the 1998 <laughs> re- uh, production at the production. St. James Theater. Yeah. So tell us about that. I was the associate choreographer to Lar Lubavitch, and. It was, you know, wonderful to get involved in the production early on. So I was in some meetings and things with Arthur and Susan Birkenhead. And uh, uh, we, you know, I just hung on them. You know, I just wanted to, I love to be near greatness. And and then I would sort of (laughs) insinuate myself and sort of go to these meetings and make sure that I was listening and 
absorbing everything. And it was complicated, you know, it started out with one director and it switched midstream, but it was the, it was the show that I got to meet Anna Kendrick and John McMartin and hang out with Randy Graff in the dressing room and Lisa Baines. And, you know, it was just, it had so many wonderful things to it, but it was kind of, you know, doomed. And, um, you know, the changes were being done frequently during previews and eventually, you know, uh, Arthur had to stop fiddling and, um, but he was always very kind and always very warm. And, um, as I say, 10 years later, uh, I heard from him and we went to, we went to breakfast and he talked to me about a musical he was working on and wanted to share some thoughts with me. And so I got to have a meal with Arthur up at community, uh, uh, restaurant up on 106th and Broadway. And, and that was the last time I saw him. So that was like 2010. So the musical never happened. No. Uh Uh Do you remember what it was? I don't, you know, Uh I was talking Uh to Tony, my husband the other day. And I said, what was that thing that Arthur and I, he he caught, cause I have a couple emails from him that I save. I save everything. Mm -hmm. And all I remember is him saying, I want to get together and, get your thoughts about a musical I've been developing. Mm. And I can't for the life of me remember what that was. I mean, maybe in a few weeks I'll reach out to Susan and ask her if she knows what that might've been. Um, <laughs> and then he kept asking me to go see shows with him. He is a, he was a Tony voter, but so was I. So he would say, have you seen lend me a tenor? And I was like, yeah, I already saw that. Oh, have you seen this? No, it was so cute. And we just kept emailing back and forth. And um, I don't think we ended up going to the theater together either. <laughs> so uh we've talked a little bit about uh your director uh di- directorial work and the choreography and mm-hmm. we touched upon a little bit of your playwriting with with your husband yeah. but we haven't talked about your teaching mm. so let's talk a little bit about your teaching and uh oh, and you. how it how it is so important to you it really is. I was invited back in um, the late 90s to teach, uh, to sub for somebody at the Cap 21 studio. Uh-huh. And, um, and I did it and I thought, wow, this is, this is, I'm learning so much. <laughs> so it was sort of like I, and then I hooked up with AMDA and Elaine Petrikoff, who's the chair of the musical theater program at AMDA. And anytime I was in between jobs, I would call her and say, do you need me, you know, to come in? And the good thing about AMDA was they had five week increments for some of the programs. And, and so I could come and teach some audition technique or do a, a, a longer semester in the musical theater curriculum. And, you know, my students include um, Casey Levy and um, uh. Lindsay Mendez, my mm. beautiful Lindsay Wanatoni. <laughs> so it's sort of like, and Janelle Monet was my student at AMDA for like one semester. And she's this huge pop star. And now she's a movie star. And she's like, the, she was so shy in that class. It was mm. really amazing. And I just love helping and nurturing and, and um, challenging young uh, actors. And then on, in around 2013, I launched my private studio that I call Directing Musicals. And I created a kind of curriculum for early career directors. And that has branched out. Like I've been thankfully able to Zoom teach all through last year. And I have um, 
affiliations with about four or five online platforms like Broadway Plus and Slow Coach Arts and the Growing Studio. And I go back and forth to those places as well. So right now I'm teaching uh, nine uh, directors and we're going through, we're studying cabaret and I'm bringing in designers. So they get an opportunity to have a first meeting with a designer and the classes um, envisioning your production and collaborating with designers. And so I'm trying to just pass on some of my toolkit that I've kind of, you know, evolved over the years and I'm very inspired by Mike Nichols. Oh, I love Mike Nichols and I quote Mike Nichols all the time. And um, my dear friend, Joe Deere wrote a really good book about oh. directing and he's um, been in uh, uh, running the, program at Wright State Wright University. State, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I, I'm keeping my hand in with as much as I can and, and trying to, you know, sort of get my social media presence going and um, in, inviting more people to come and study with me. And I also do a theater lovers class that I sort of invented over the summer called um, the Musicals Book Club. And it's inspired by Oprah uh, Oprah's book club, but we read uh, a libretto and then we talk about it and I share insights on, and obviously I started with ragtime and I've done it a couple of times. We did it for Bay street theater. I've done it for um, Broadway weekends, which is another online uh, platform. And uh, then I did the secret garden with Broadway weekends. So I, I'm, I'll devise any sort of curriculum you want. So if you want to, you know, study acting or directing or even choreographing for musicals, which isn't really a, a thing. You know, there's not, I didn't take a class in it. I kind of learned on the fly, um, which I think most choreographers do learn, you know, from being in shows and men and working with their mentors. So um, yeah, thanks for asking about it. So I'm at MMDNY on, on Instagram and Facebook is called at directing musicals. Um, so um, if anyone out there wants to study, give me a holler. We will put that in the show notes uh, so that people can easily get to it. Right. So, Marsha, I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Typically right now, we let our uh, our guests uh, go on to their morning coffee and bagels and things like that. But we <laughs> wanted you to stick around for another couple of minutes, sure. um, if you would. Absolutely. So let's uh, move into our next section where we want to talk about uh, Peter. There is another special anniversary. And why don't you tell us about that? You mean the 50th anniversary of Follies opening at the Winter Garden? Uh, yeah, that would that, be the one. <laughs> that is pretty special. Uh, and uh, ironically enough, it was precisely um, seven years after the opening of Anyone Can Whistle in 1964, both of those by, with scores by Stephen Sondheim, and both of them very controversial shows. Of course, Follies um, is beloved. And um, as I am writing for my uh, Tuesday column at Masterworks Broadway, if I had a nickel for every time I went to an apartment and saw a um, window card or a three mm -hmm. sheet of Follies, uh, David Bird's logo, um, I could buy a pepperoni pizza. And I don't mean <laughs> at the 99 cent outlets either. So 
But I was very lucky to see Follies in Boston during its tryout when indeed um, Yvonne DiCarlo was singing Can That Boy Foxtrot, which I thought was a terrific song. And when mm-hmm. I heard that it was being replaced, I said, my God, what's he going to write that's better than that? Well, he showed me with I'm Still Here. <laughs> I have to admit, I have to admit that indeed uh, I didn't like a lot of Follies when I saw it in Boston because I hated the idea of these two couples um, fighting like crazy. And at the end, we were expected to believe that they might stay together. But I also remember I talked to a man who was about 20 years older than I at the time. And he said to me, Peter, I have a feeling when you get older, you're going to understand Follies much better. Mm. And here's what's interesting. It wasn't that you may assume that the story is now going to go into my saying, and you know, 20 years later, I understood what he meant. At that <laughs> moment in time, I knew he was right. I knew that I would feel that as I got older. And I certainly did, um, having then endured uh, problems with my own marriage. And uh, so uh, <laughs> I do understand how there are no easy answers when it comes to marriage. And uh, but boy, you know, you have to admit that um, it's really something to watch those phenomenal diegetic numbers, um, Broadway Baby, uh, <laughs> especially, and uh, then have to come back to the uh, scenes of these people uh, squabbling, fighting and uh, being miserable. But boy, when Follies works, when it works, forget the jerks who said it couldn't go because there's nothing like Follies. And um, ironically enough, I have seen it since then uh, 14 more times in various productions, wonderful productions here, there and everywhere, be it um, La Salle College in Pennsylvania, a high school in Westfield, New Jersey. Yes, children doing Follies. And um, it's a show that I truly believe will never die. For what it's worth, I, I would say it's debatable whether both or either of the couples do remain together at the end. And that's one of the things that makes the show so rich. Um, I think um, a lot of people would say it, it. maybe it's more clear that Phyllis and Ben will remain together, but maybe not uh, Sally and buddy uh but but again uh i I think it's completely open to debate and and i think that's a good thing (laughs) marcia oh i i have you done it i've never done it but Uh i um waiting around for the girls upstairs was i would blast that in my (laughs) uh, on a lp like the the album was played um religiously uh, I saw the production that um, came from the Kennedy Center with um, yes. uh, the, the, the most recent Broadway revival. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was loving. And um, I thought, um, uh, oh, she passed away, too, who play, who sang. I'm Jan Maxwell. Jan yeah. Maxwell was yeah. my Tony buddy. We were she sat in front of me um, uh, at the Tony Awards uh, in 2010. Mm-hmm. She had uh, been nominated for two shows for Lend Me a Tenor and uh, Royal Family, maybe mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cast was delicious. And um, I thought, you know, everyone was working at the top of their game, Derek and everybody. But I that 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 cover, that artwork and that album just I mean, hmm. One of my just thrilling, and the only one, the the one song I'm sure I really regret that I didn't see. I came to New York right after. When was it? In when did it open? Seventy one. Yeah, I didn't get to New York until seventy seven. 
So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, ironically enough, I always ask people, if you could go back in time, what would you see? That and Follies is, yeah, Follies yeah. is the number one answer. The yeah, only that... people who don't say Follies are the people who saw it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A lot of people who have, you know, I mean, normally discuss the show anyway. Uh, I think there's been a lot more discussion this week because of the anniversary and including discussion of that incredible image, that that David Byrd image. But one thing that I, um, I'm not sure that I've seen anyone else ever bring it up. Uh, people talk about exactly what the image is supposed to represent. But I always thought it, it reminds me of the Statue of Liberty. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that adds e- even another iconic level to it uh, that I, uh, but I, did you either of you see that in that image? I never did, but I certainly see your point. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. It's interesting because with the, I did ragtime recently at Tuts in Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, my set designer, Kevin Depinay, I asked him to create a show curtain and it was the Statue of Liberty oh, sure. um, mm-hmm. lady. And, and I put um, uh, Lazarus's words around the proscenium and, uh-huh. and during um, uh, the finale of act one, um, I had a tear go down her face. So, I, thought, uh, I mean, I always had a relationship of ragtime story being told mm, in the Statue of Liberty. So mm, I think she's a powerful image in it. And if that's mm, what's conjured in the David Bird art, you know, who knows, maybe he had a little bit of sure. um, Lady Liberty in, on his mind. <laughs> Ironically enough, this is his birthday. Oh, my oh, God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That could have been our trivia question. Ah. (laughs) So, Peter, do you have an answer for last week's trivia? They've been good friends for 60 years or so, although they made their Broadway debut before getting to really know each other. After appearing in three TV specials together, one opened in an off-Broadway musical, and when the show moved to Broadway, was succeeded by the other. Who are they? Well, we're talking about Julie Andrews and Carol Burnett. Andrews Mm. opened and putting it together at the Manhattan Theater Club, and Carol Burnett took it to the Ethel Barrymore Theater. Nikki Juvan was the first to get it, followed by Tony Janicki and Brigadude. New question. Let me interrupt you for a second. Sure. Uh, Nikki Juvan emailed me this morning and uh, apologized that she couldn't join us this morning because she's getting her second shot, but she was very interested that if she had the uh, correct answer. She sure did, and she was the first one to get it. So, new question. This performer appeared in musicals in three, and only three, Broadway theaters. Received two, and only two, Tony nominations. Who's this performer? Who were the, what were the musicals? And who were the winners that denied this performer Tony Awards? Mm. Three okay. and only three Broadway theaters. <laughs> All right. If you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, we have a, a special musical moments, plural, this week, because you've sent on two moments for us. And uh, tell us about these moments. 
Well, yeah, I uh, we actually didn't discuss where we're going to include them in the show, but I think maybe um, we could open the show with the King and I overture, mm-hmm. uh. and then uh, end with beautiful girls from Follies, mm. uh, from the of course from the original cast recording, uh, sung by Michael Bartlett and cast. Uh, this is an abbreviated version of the song because infamously. Um, Capitol Records uh, issued the cast album uh, only on a single LP, which was the norm. Hmm. But the problem was that there's uh, so much music and follies that they had to make very egregious cuts in the show. Uh, so that has always been a, a, a flaw of that recording. But it does preserve um, the wonderful performance of the of the original cast at least in the musical sections and um, i'm happy to say uh, i guess it seems like more and more video uh of follies the original production uh and or the tour has turned up over the years and some enterprising people have um put it on YouTube and, and uh, synced it up, uh, synced the silent mm. footage mm-hmm. with uh, where it was silent footage with um, recordings uh, from uh, of the, of the show in live performance from the, uh, from the soundboard in some cases. So uh, people, you know, I mean, Follies is pretty much lost to time as far as the original production, but there are snippets of it that, that we can, uh, you know, little ghostly <laughs> snippets of it that we can still experience and I I suppose that's only appropriate given the the theme and the uh, subject matter of the show (laughs) okay so I want to thank Marsha for visiting us at Broadway Radio and also say on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway bye 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 For those of you whose memories may be going, I'm Dimitri Weissman. Welcome to our first and last reunion. A final chance before my theater comes down to stumble through a song or two and lie about ourselves a little. There's a band, free food and drink, and Roscoe's here, as always, to bring on the Weissman girls. Maestro... Diamonds and pearls